Did you know that you're an ambassador? That if you have the Holy Spirit, if God rules in your heart, that you're an ambassador for God? Isn't that amazing? Like think of, think of an embassy like abroad, right? And it's foreign, a foreign country, but the embassy, an American embassy in a foreign country, stands on American soil, right? That's American soil. So if an American is abroad and tries to find refuge in an embassy, you're in America essentially, right? That's what we get to be as Christians. We are ambassadors for God through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I, I love um, the series that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the, Holy, uh, about the kingdom of God over the last few weeks. We've been talking about what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy, right? Pastor Dave has been talking about it again and again and again. And I love this topic simply because... Jesus loved that topic. Did you know his first sermon was, oh, where is it? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. His very first sermon was about the kingdom of God. And almost everything that he talked about, he somehow linked back to the kingdom because that's what it was all about. That's why I love talking about the kingdom of God. And today I want to talk with you about... Um, about a specific story that Jesus told and linked back to the kingdom of God and what we personally can take away from that today. And it has to do with children. It's two stories that I actually connected. It has to do with children and it has about rich rulers. So the complete opposite spectrum, I feel like, right? And they are surprisingly linked. But before I do that, um, let me pray really quickly, so if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I want to thank you so much that you came down here on earth to be with us, that we have a relationship with you, that we get to be with you, God. And I just pray that you speak through me, God, that it's going to be your words that are coming out of my mouth, and that um, every year in this room and on the live stream that they will be able to hear what you are saying, God. I don't want that anything is from me, but everything is from, God, from you, God. I want to speak the truth and no lies, God. So I pray that you speak through me in your holy name. Amen. I want to teach y'all today a, a technique. It's called a Moroccan sandwich, and that looks very tasty on the picture, right? It has not as much to do with a real sandwich, but it's a technique that the gospel author Mark uses and a few times during, um, yeah, during his gospel. And it's called a sandwich, a Moroccan sandwich. What he's doing, he tells a story, okay? He starts with a story, and then he interrupts the story with a different type of story. And at the end of this story, he comes back to the original story. Okay, that's why the sandwich. You have the crust, which is the original story, and in the middle, the meat or the salad or whatever you like to put on your sandwich is, um, is the interruption, okay? As an example, does everyone remember the story of Jairus and his daughter who is sick? And Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter's sick, can you come and rescue her, save her? Because Jesus has been doing a fair few miracles by that point already, right? And Jesus says, yes, I will come. But here's the interruption. The story of Jairus is the first story, okay? And now the interruption. Suddenly we read about a completely different thing. Have you ever wondered why you're suddenly reading of this woman that touches the garment of Jesus? And we read a significant length about this story of the woman that, where Jesus is having this discussion with. The original story is completely interrupted, right? And what happens there 
is this woman is displaying faith and a significant amount of faith. She was not a Jew, and Jesus actually said, well, my, my powers right now are actually just for the Jews, at least for this moment. But she, she had so much faith that even the breadcrumbs that would be fed to the dogs, so essentially the leftovers of the, of the miracles that Jesus could provide could save her. Isn't that an amazing amount of faith? And then we go back, we're finishing the sandwich with the other piece of bread, and we're finishing the story of Jairus, because then the men come and say, you don't need to bother coming, she's dead. And Jesus is like, it's about faith. Have you not just learned? That's why the sandwich is so powerful, because we've just learned the significance of faith, and we come back to this original story, to Jairus, and he, he heals that daughter. Isn't that amazing? So, I want to show you a really, really cool story today. And this story is in Mark 10. Okay, and it's, again, two stories. One, one story that we're starting off with about children and then an interruption later. So let me read it. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is a strong word. He was indignant about it. And said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Oh, isn't that a nice story? I feel like whenever we hear of the story, Jesus loves children, isn't that amazing? Oh, what, what a lovely guy Jesus is. But there's so much more in this, okay, than just Jesus loves children, okay? There's so much more in this, this story than Jesus loves children. First of all, let's start with this. Who, who, the parents brought the children, right? Why were they bringing the children? And the word that is used there in Greek suggests maybe some kind of dedication, which is kind of odd because the dedication would usually happen in the temple with a sacrifice, right? You remember Jesus was brought to the temple when he was dedicated as a baby, or Hannah was at the temple dedicating Samuel, Samuel who lived his whole life for God, right? That's what dedication means. I dedicate my life to you, God. So the word suggests dedication in some way, but maybe it was just some kind of blessing since they were not in the temple. They still hoped something from Jesus in a sense. But the, the disciples, they were like, oh, no, 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 this is not the right place. No, don't come, don't come with Jesus and don't bother Jesus with children. I know for us, children is a big thing in our society. I mean, like everyone that had children probably had Mickey Mouse Clubhouse running at, the, at their house or something like this, right? Uh, and like the whole entertainment is built for children. Everything is set up for children. In that time, there wasn't as much as that about that, right? And children are actually, unless they could start, they are old enough that they can start help in society, they're seen as somewhat useless. For this family, they're special, but for everyone else, like, yes, it's a child, it takes a few years until they can actually help being in the farm or start helping with making tables or whatever they would be doing, right? So they're just seen somewhat of a burden initially. So maybe that's why the disciples are like, don't bother Jesus with it, but Jesus is indignant about it. It's like, 
What are you doing? Bring these children to me. And he uses these children as an image. And he says, and this is what, the, uh, what this whole passage is about. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. This story is about the kingdom of God. Okay? And it says we should receive it like a child. Well, how old is this child? Eight years old? Maybe already 15? Maybe just seven, six? Well, the passage actually is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke actually uses a word that shows it means infant. It's an infant. And Jesus, even in this passage, took them in his arm. Takes them in his arms. So we're clearly talking very likely about infants in this point, not 15-year-olds, not 8-year-olds. We're talking about little children that cannot do anything and are completely dependent on the parents or whoever has taken care of them. And we should enter the kingdom like one of those? This is kind of strange, right? This is kind of weird. I want to go back to this because Mark comes back to this later. Okay? So, now the interruption. I told you about the sandwich, right? The interruption is happening right now. Mark, 17, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. This man is a rich young ruler. Okay? And asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, that's a strange answer. He asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, no one is good except God. It's like, Jesus, you missed the point of the question, right? That's at least what it seems like to us. But Jesus is very clever. Jesus is doing something very significant. And we first want to talk about the issue of goodness, okay? Because there's a couple of things going on with this man. First of all, this man seemed to be very, like, seemed to be sincere in some way, right? He was running towards Jesus. He was kneeling down for him, right? A ruler would not do this. A ruler would not run, and he would surely not uh, kneel before some kind of rabbi, right? But he was showing humility, and he was like, no, I'm going to do this because you are a good teacher, and I want to learn from you. But why does he use the word good? From some sources, we found out that in the whole Talmud, a rabbi being was never being addressed as a good teacher. Rabbis only addressed God as good. Okay? So, Jesus is clear bringing out this point, but then it seems confusing because in other parts, Jesus literally says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So there is some instances where Jesus says, they are good people. So why is no one good except God? That doesn't make sense. And here's the point. The point is, the man is asking about eternal life. He's asking about salvation. And if we're talking about the context of salvation, no one is good except God. That's as clear, that, that, that makes sense, right? Like, only in this context, and, and only God can be good. It's Jesus saying, oh, he is not God, because he's kind of denying that he's God. No, he hasn't denied it. He's just simply asking that man, why do you call me good? You know, only God can be called good. Are you calling me God? Are you calling me God? But I think there's another thing. If that man was to address the teacher as good, maybe that man can acquire this goodness for himself in some way. 
Because the man clearly asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see it's all work-based? It's all based on like, what must I do? What, what can I do to achieve to get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus first addresses, no one is good except God. So don't think that you can be good enough. That is his first point. The second issue, the issue of fulfilling law. Let's continue reading. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Can we trust him? Can we trust him that he has really done all of these things? We know that no one is faultless in front of God, right? We as Christians know this. But maybe he didn't. I mean, even Paul thought before he met Christ that he was pretty awesome, right? This is Paul writing, and he writes at the very end here in Philippians 3, verse 6, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Even Paul the apostle thought before he met Christ I am pretty faultless in the law. But we understand from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has upped the level. He said, you think the law is about this, but really it's about this. You thought the law is just about this, but it's really about this. You thought the law is just about do not murder. But I say, even if you hate your brother and if you're angry against your brother, you are guilty of murdering in your heart. Right? So there's this law that they maybe follow to the letter, but they miss the mark in so many ways. And that's why Jesus constantly called all the, uh, the Pharisees, right? Because they miss the, miss the heart in so many aspects. And Paul understood that. In Romans, we read, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul understands that even him, like seeing for the true law, the true commandments, he's still dead spiritually. So how can this man say, oh, I've obeyed all of these things since my childhood? Well, he might believe it, but we know it's not true. The thing is, Jesus very likely knew that it's not true. I'm saying likely because he is, I want to show you something really cool, okay? If you compare this story between the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they say most of the commandments the same that Jesus says. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Those are common in all, five, uh, all three Gospels. Do you notice anything about these five laws? These are five laws from the Ten Commandments. All five of these are from the Ten Commandments. And now we have Matthew and Mark that each add a law that are not from the Ten Commandments. You should love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew and do not defraud in Mark. That's significant, I think. Like, there's a purpose in singling that one out out of the Ten Commandments. First of all, well, that seems odd that they would say different things. Isn't it, didn't Jesus say a specific thing? Well, it's eyewitness accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, these are eyewitness accounts, and each of them might have remembered things slightly different or might have had a different um, emphasis on certain things that stood out to them. Maybe Jesus had a way longer list that he was telling him. But still, 
these things must have stood out to the gospel writers, and that's why I added them. And those are do not defraud and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe, just maybe, part of the wealth that this young man had came through defrauding other people, not loving your neighbor as yourself. Maybe this was a specific sin issue that this man had, and that's why Jesus is pointing them out, right? Maybe in this case, Jesus is saying, you still think you're good? What about this law? And the man is still like, I've done them all. I've fulfilled them all. So Jesus changes tactic and goes to the next issue, the issue of selling everything. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And here's the important thing. He loved him. Okay, What he said next was because he loved that man. He wasn't, like, he wasn't trying to be mean to him or like just take, take advantage of him. No, he loved him. And he says, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man couldn't do it. Jesus asked him to sell everything because this was what the man's heart was clinging to and he couldn't do it. Do we think Jesus is asking all disciples to sell everything? I don't think so. In Matthew 8, we read, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, well, Peter was one of his followers and this was already after he has recruited him to be his disciples, and they came back to Peter's house. So Peter clearly still had a house, right? He still had um, a mother-in-law and a wife. He didn't leave all of this. Like, he didn't, like, he still had those things, right? And later on, he came back and was fishing, so he must still have had a boat to be able to do that, right? So he clearly still had possessions. Also, we read in Luke 8, a whole bunch of women that are following Jesus who provided for them, the, the 12 disciples and Jesus, out of their own means. So these women clearly had their own financial means that they were able to, to support Jesus with. So they weren't required to sell everything and give it to the poor. This man was. The interesting challenge that I have heard like researching this is, if, if you're relieved about this, he might be talking to you. Because again, it's the heart, right? If our heart is clinging on to something, and it's not just money, it's, it's, it's whatever we hold most dear in our life, right? If we're holding on to that too much, it's literally taking us away from the kingdom of God. It's trying to tear us away from God's kingdom because it doesn't want us to be there. It doesn't want us to be there. That's why God, Jesus knew that this was an issue for this man, and he challenged him, saying, sell it while you still can. Otherwise, I don't know if there's hope for you to, be, like, to come back, because this money has so much power, right? At least in his life. There's other people where it doesn't have as much power, and if God was to say, sell it, then they would be like, okay, God, who should I give it to? Right? It's about our heart and how much we are holding on to these things. 
Because God wants us to be all in for his kingdom. God wants us to be all in for this. Talking about this, there's another issue. The issue of kingdoms. Because there's the kingdom of God, and we can see there's the kingdom of man. If we, if we don't work for the kingdom of God, we're actually working for the kingdom of man. So let's read. Continue reading. And we're finishing this story. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at this words. But Jesus said to them, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can I just stop here and just say how absurd this image is? And a camel, a really large animal, right, and probably somewhat of the largest animal that I imagine them to know or to have familiarity with. I mean, yes, there's elephants, there's big whales, but I don't think that they would have familiarity with them in Israel at that time, right? So camels is probably fairly big for them to, to look at through the tiny, tiny eye of a needle. Big camel, tiny eye of the needle. That is absurd, and it's meant to be absurd, right? It's meant to open the eyes that is impossible. And I'm not just saying impossible because I think that's what it means. Literally, Jesus says straight after. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and says, with man it is impossible. See, I told you. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything behind and followed you. Jesus said, Oh, that J was not supposed to be tiny. <laughs> Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brother, and here, house or brother, or sister, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. With persecution. It just adds it up. It's like, yeah, that, you get that too. And, it, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here again, I don't think we're supposed to leave everything behind. But everyone will leave something behind for God. Probably the thing that we hold most dear to because it's taking us away from God. Right? We're taking, we, everyone will be giving something up. And for Becca and I, we are blessed right now to have our parents here, right? But we are in America right now because we were obedient to God, which means we weren't able to see them for many years. I still haven't seen um, my sisters in like over five years. Like, this is, this is, this is difficult. Like, but, but what we get out of this is houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. Like, I have more family here than I could ever have imagined in Germany. A different type of family, but a family in faith. And I know that wherever I go, when I follow God, I will have family of some kinds. And I will be safe in some kinds, right? God will provide the things that I need because in his kingdom, he is in charge and he will provide for my need. In the kingdom of man, 
we have to provide for ourselves. In the kingdom of man, we, are, we have all the responsibility, and it's not always going well, is it? But in the kingdom of God, he is in charge, and he has the responsibility. So if God asks us to give something up, as a Christian, we, must, we should be willing to do this. Right? In Luke 12, verse 21, there's, oh, there's a story about the man that has a barn. And he tears that barn down to build a bigger barn so he can store even more things. And then God accuses him, saying, how foolish. You will die tonight and all of this will be for nothing. And then he says, so it is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And I love the phrasing of the ESV here, who is not rich towards our God. The idea is this, everything that I own, everything that I do is for the kingdom of God. It's not mine to have, it is his. Right? Otherwise, if it's not for the kingdom of God, it's for the kingdom of men. But we want to be all in for the kingdom of God. So, let me go to the last issue. The issue of being like children. Because did you notice that Jesus is saying children to the crowd? In the Gospel of Mark, that is the only time that he addresses the, children, uh, the, the, the crowd as children. And I don't think it's a coincidence after we just had the story with the children and now with the interruption. Do you remember the sandwich? You have the story of the children. You have the interruption with, with the rich young ruler. And now he addresses the crowd and says, remember what I just talked about. So, we're supposed to be like infants. Isn't that an adorable picture, by the way? <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, I have to put that one in. <laughs> Why children? Why are we supposed to be like children in that sense? A child is completely depending on father or mother or whoever is taken care of. And a child has nothing. We are supposed to be like children, both spiritually and physically, depending on him and having nothing to our name. God, I am poor in the sense that nothing is mine. Everything is yours. And there's nothing I can prove of for myself. And this is a really, really big deal because in the kingdom of man, everything is about proving yourself. Have you noticed how everything is about that we need to prove ourselves? To be accepted in society, we must have a good career. We must be good in school, right? We must have a good big family, right? We must have somewhat of decent money. All of these things that we must do in this society to be seen as somewhat successful. A child has nothing, and we're supposed to be like a child. A child has nothing to show, saying, here are my credentials, God. Because that's not what it is about. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Because we don't have anything to show for, even if we think we have. The man, the rich young ruler, he thought, hey, I, I'm pretty decent in the law, and I have wealth, so maybe I can buy myself into the kingdom. Maybe I can do this or that. That's why he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But we must just accept Jesus and say, God, I don't have anything I can show for. There's nothing that I can offer. 
So I want to give this an alternative title, okay? I've given, the first title is a Moroccan sandwich. This is what the true title is. We need to come with nothing to offer and nothing we are holding on to. That is, the, that is the meaning of this story with the children and with the rich young ruler. That's how they link together. Are we willing to do this? This is scary. This is scary. And I see how I personally keep falling back to this. I know how I keep falling back to, God, I've not spent enough time with you. I feel really awful about myself, right? It's like God wants to spend time with me, but he doesn't want that as a chore and a to-do list. He wants that I'm gladly coming to spending more time with him. Or, or when I'm like holding on to these things, like for me, it's uh, my personal entertainment, I'm not gonna lie. That's something I'm holding on to a time too tight. And maybe God is saying, are you willing to give this up for me? Even, even families, okay? Being a good family person is very highly seen in this society. Would you agree? Yeah? And I think it's also highly seen for God. But if the family takes so much priority that it takes away from God, I don't think, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think this is good. You should honor God by loving your family. But if God were to say, if, I'm not saying he is for anyone, he maybe, he maybe not, right? But if God is to say, leave your family to follow me, I think we should be doing it. It is tough. It is hard. And don't anyone be like, oh, no, God is telling me so I can go far away from my family, okay? <laughs> no. Not only if God is saying that, maybe God is saying you should be loving your family more. That might be the other way around, right? It's listening to what God wants, right? That we're not holding to our own thing. Yeah. And this is tough. But I trust him. I trust God. And I want to trust him more and more because there's more that I want to grow in. And I wonder how much you want to grow into this as well. So we need to come with nothing to offer and nothing we're holding on to. And the band can start coming up. And we're going to sing this song. So it has a few years already. Um, and it's called Nothing I Hold On To, right? And when the bridge comes and it sings, it's nothing I hold on to, nothing I hold on to. Then when that comes, I encourage you, reflect on this. Is that really what I want to do? Do I really want to hold on to nothing for your sake, God, and for the sake of the gospel? And the answer is yes, then sing it and mean it, okay? Reflect on this. What am I holding on to? And should I be coming like a child in front of God saying I have nothing and all I have is for you? Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that you're a good God and that you're challenging us, challenging us to do these really challenging things but I know that you're good, God. I know that you're trustworthy. And when we trust you and when we step out on the water, you will not forsake us. And we get hundreds times more than we, than we thought we would lose. Because you look after your children, God. When we're depending on you like a child, God, we know you are a good father and you're a good God. We are not good, we can never be, but you're good and you take care of us, God. 
you look after us. And I pray that we will be able to trust you in every aspect of our lives. In your holy name.